Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Blue Mountain Village Voices. Joining us today is June Porter, candidate for town council in the town of the Blue Mountains. June and her husband Terry have been increasingly involved in the Blue Mountain community since 2010. Together, they enjoy a wide variety of Four Seasons activities. In addition to her various volunteer commitments, June has also worked part-time at Blue Mountain Resort. The experience provided her with greater insight into our local labor force, including the need for affordable, attainable housing, as well as childcare and transit. You may have also met June as a registered nurse at the December 2021 vaccine clinic locally at the BVCC, where she provided clinical leadership as well as the administration of vaccines to our local community. June has an MSc nursing and an executive MBA and brings a lot to the table. Look forward to having a discussion about the future of the town with her today. Welcome June to the Blue Mountain Village Voices podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Andrew. It's a privilege. Uh, congratulations on your candidacy as counselor in the town of the Blue Mountains and uh, and all the, the work that you've done so far throughout the campaign. Thank you. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun. It really it really has. And it's fun to go to the candidate meetings, see familiar faces in the audience. And certainly we're um, blessed with such a, an informed voter group. Yeah, we really are. This community is really engaged. And I think that is just one of the reasons why the community is so great. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just start off by, um, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about yourself and your history with the town of the Blue Mountains. Basically, I was living in England until 2002. And by a series of coincidences, I met up with a guy who I'd gone to high school with, but never actually spoken to. Oh, wow. <laughs> He said it took me a long time. Anyways, we met up when I was back in my hometown and the rest is history. I moved back in 2002. We got married in May. I had a job and he was very big fan and avid skier up in this area. So introduced me because I didn't know much about this area except day trips as a teenager and young adult. Yeah. And absolutely fell in love with every aspect Then came the bikes and the Mm -hmm. cycling, the Centurion. In 2005, we decided that this is where we wanted to retire. took five years to find a place because I was a bit particular where I wanted to live. It's a big decision. You want to make the right one, don't you? Wanted to make the right one because this was going to be the forever home. And we were fortunate and found a cottage, which we kept going. And when we retired in 2018, uh, we tore it down and rebuilt it. It was past its sell-by date. And the rest is history. And I've become a ski instructor and become very integrated into the community. And I guess 
to say I love this town is an understatement. And I really enjoyed the last four years, despite COVID, becoming very engaged and giving back to the town. Through my career, I've had a very successful international progressive career. And volunteerism is strong roots in my family. So as I mentioned, over the last four years, it's been a privilege to give back. That's wonderful. And I think you are so representative of so many in our community who come and move here and really want to join the team, so to speak, to make it better and to contribute. And I've certainly seen that a lot mm-hmm. in your volunteer work and contributions, which I think is great. So you come from a healthcare background. Yes, I do. Yeah. Could you just talk a little bit about that experience? In the beginning, I'm a, I was a hospital trained nurse in a very old fashioned way. In fact, I've been thinking about that this week because of the 50th anniversary of probably the biggest goal we've ever had in hockey history. We had some very, um, let's say, starchy teachers at the time <laughs> teaching us bed making. And they actually gave up and said, just go watch the game. This is not going to work today. <laughs> so hockey won over bed making. So that was something I was remembering this year. And there was 115 of us crammed in a room watching this little black and white television. So other than that, I worked as a staff nurse in my hometown for four years and then went to university. And I chose to go to Halifax, um, to Dalhousie, because I thought I may not live there, but I want to experience a different part of Canada. And that was a great, fabulous place. It's such to, a great reputation and a great place to live too. Absolutely. And it is, it's very different down there and people have a very different type of lifestyle, a lovely one. I subsequently moved to Ottawa, embarked on my first management job, was there for four years and moved to England. There I was involved in their um, National Health Service, which is also a public system. Uh, I did my master's in nursing and hospice in palliative care, which is something with interest to me because it hadn't really taken off here yet. Right. And it was very valuable because I got the wake up call there of really understanding what patient centered care was. It was all about the patient. And I'm glad I learned that when I was young because it has served me very well. I'm I'm sure it has, yeah. They drove the pace because I was typically a surgical nurse, which is very fast paced. And I would imagine in that context, you know, it's less about being patient centered and it's more about the task at hand when you're in the middle of treatment. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was very interesting and being uh, a part of a very important time in their life because it is end of life care. And it's very valuable time to them. I worked in other aspects of uh, different aspects of healthcare. there. I commissioned a private hospital. I have an understanding of private and how it can work with public sector. I worked for KPMG as a consultant. I did my MBA. Then I also worked on national change projects. I was responsible on a national level for 22 projects at one time. And even several of them were call centers. So I had to learn about call centers. So I had the opportunity to apply healthcare in different sectors and transfer, say, call center technology to a healthcare setting, which has always been very um, interesting. I moved back, as I said, in 2002 and began working in the Canadian system, in the Ontario system here, have had several um, different kinds of jobs, always involving uh, an aspect of change, mm. changing physician practice and doing operations for the better. 
So how can we be more efficient? How can we do more with less? Uh, And isn't that something that every organization, municipality is, is trying to figure out how to do better? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, based on your experience, would you say that the health sector is change easy in that environment? Is it more um, slow? What's been your experience? It depends. So I work through SARS. So some change can be on a dime. And other times change is very slow. I think the key is, and what I have, I learned with working with physicians is when they choose to work in a place, they work there for life and they will wait the management out. Mm. They will come and go. So the key is to really find out what's in it for them. Or can you change things that don't impact them? Right. Because then it doesn't disrupt how they like to work. That's right. And it's finding a balance, isn't it? It's finding a balance. It's also working with and measuring the impact of the change. Right. Is the change having the desired outcome? And if it doesn't, why are you continuing down this path? Yeah. Yeah. It's credibility and measurement at the end of the day, isn't it? That that I'm sure you can overcome a lot of objections when you can show the data and the progress. Yeah. You show the data and you see the early adopters and you also realize when you get to the tipping point where it's not like you stop monitoring it, but you know, you do not have to put the effort in that you've had to put in at the front end. For sure. So the last job I had was chief nursing officer at the WSIB and I affected change on a provincial level. I did under the VP lead and develop and implement the narcotic strategy. And that was one where we took definitive action at the front end, and we also had to work down the back end. Interesting. And it was over a substantive period of time. And I was very pleased because we were having a positive impact on people's lives, and we had tangible results. Right. You have to monitor to make sure you're continuing to move in the right direction. Of course, yeah. If you don't have that monitoring, it's subjective. And that's where I think lots of organizations get into trouble. Uh, We're going to circle back to that. I think what you're highlighting in a lot of ways is exactly what municipalities need to do going forward. But before we sort of dive in in on that a little later, I wonder if you can talk to us about, you know, what is your motivation to uh, run and serve as a counselor in the town of Blue Mountains? So I have several motivations. One is for residents to be heard. I think it is very key particularly um, when you reflect on our very informed voters. It has when people have gone to open houses and public meetings, 70 letters come in, 70 people speak. People are engaged. They want to be heard. And going back to my experience with change and also when you're working with a significant large group of physicians, they really want to be heard. Yeah. So it's applying that is people need to see evidence that they were heard. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you provide evidence that people are heard? You make sure you capture their comments accurately. Yeah. You let them see that what they said mattered. It made a difference so they can see the change. Yeah. Or you give them a very good, transparent explanation as to why it may not be possible, but may not be possible at this time. Right. You give them airtime. Of course. I would agree that we have a very engaged community of uh, residents in the town of Blue Mountains. Do you think that that engaged group is representative of everyone? Do you think there are communities missing in the mix that council needs to reach out to more? I think that they, from what I see when I go, I think there is um, maybe not equitable representation, 
But I think one of the improvements that has come as a result of COVID, and I would not want to see disappear, is virtual public meetings. Virtual public meetings, I know from my own area, has given an opportunity for weekenders and seasonal people to be full participants because they can participate from wherever they live or wherever they are. doesn't matter if they're out of the country, they can still participate. And so they have a sense that they can be heard. I think it can be difficult for people to come to the town hall for things in person, particularly the timing. I do think the town could be more flexible on timings of meetings for people to attend, particularly for people who work, because I think they miss that middle demographic, people who maybe have childcare issues, et cetera. The other thing with being heard is, is when people take the time to write in a letter for a public meeting, it is not read in full. It is summarized. Right. Well, I'm not in favor of reading a 10-page dissertation. (laughs) I am in favor of if it meets with certain parameters in length, they, because of whatever reason, through no fault of their own, they may not be present. Right. Their letter should be read in full. Yeah. Although council gets a copy and one would naturally assume they would read it and other members of staff, I think it's important for the community because the community can often resonate and think, I'm not alone in my thoughts. That's right. Yeah. And there's a lot that you get when you use different forms of communication. I mean, maybe there's an opportunity to do a voice file that gets sent alongside a written and then, you know, it can be played. Who knows? I agree with you, though. I think people want to be heard. And that's a great way of making sure they are versus a summarized letter. And it's hard because everyone, there's so much correspondence to go through now. I think everyone is dealing with that more and more. So we got to find creative ways to make it accessible. We do. So for other reasons is I'm very, I'm a very action oriented person. I have strong operational roots and I've worked in industries where action has to happen on it. You know, things have to change, whether it's immediately or within the very short term, because you have always, it's always been a 24 seven operation. I think we have enough plans and studies. I have found it disappointing that we have really not had tangible, affordable housing. I use that word to cover attainable, whatever. We've had studies 2010, 2018. If we have another study, there is a certain point where you have to say, even one of the business strategic guys, Porter would say, it's good enough. Yeah, I fully agree with you. What do you think has held us back from, because the the path has been pretty clear in terms of the steps that need to be taken. So what do you think has held us back? Why aren't we further ahead on that front? I think there is, in my, in my own personal opinion, is there was one plan put forward. I'm not convinced that the change process was managed. The burning platform for change was communicated and bought into by the community. Using attainable, affordable housing, I don't think there was a shared understanding of what it meant. Hmm. People, I think, were left with the impression that it would cater to a wider wage range than it did. I think also it should have been realized that we had a gap in the official plan. An amendment could have been made a number of years ago. It's about relationship-based. Get Gray County in your corner. Yeah. So 
I think from a project planning perspective, which in embracing change management processes, yeah. I think certainly there was things that could have been done differently that would have expedited the process. I'm not sure that would have eliminated concerns that people have with the particular no, site. Of course not. But I do remember back putting Moral Park on as an option created a lot of noise. And once yeah. you create noise, it can be very difficult to shift people back. For sure. For sure. It's been interesting, uh, my perspective on it. Uh, and it's, you know, I probably have a lot of insights having been involved in some pre-research, having been a, a really an advocate for raising the issue many, many years mm-hmm. ago, working at that multi-municipal level, counties, all the South Georgian Bay municipalities, all the towns were involved. So it was pretty, we've been talking a lot about regionalism and we did probably one of the biggest regional efforts at that time. It's interesting to me because when I look back over the last number of years, I've seen the municipality create a community improvement plan, which actually had tangible policies to provide incentives to build attainable housing. I saw it synchronized with the county's community improvement plan, which was aimed to do the same thing. So actually, from a a planning perspective, some new policies were developed. The Attainable Housing Corp has advanced a project and engaged in a lot of community consultation to hear from the local residents to get it right. And so to me, while that it hasn't delivered units on the ground, it has really engaged with the local community. Mm -hmm. And that's been a really good thing. And then on top of that, this council has worked with the Attainable Housing Corporation to um, advance the 171 King site through land acquisitions, some financing and stuff. So the way I look at it, is there's actually been a lot done. But what I'm surprised by is it hasn't been communicated very well. And those folks who have been involved in it actually aren't able to recite those things that I have recited. And I, so I found, and, and so to me, it's a surprise. I've been listening to the commentary and I'm surprised that the teams that have been involved, they're, they're not able to articulate it. And so when we wonder why the community is concerned, I think, that's a big part of it. So as a volunteer, that's what I, I stand back and I go, hmm. So, you know, I'm wondering, what, what do you think about that? So from a communications perspective, if people don't hear something, they fabricate it. In the absence mm-hmm. of a void, people will, yeah. that, that's human nature. Yeah. So I think it's very important, as with any plan you implement or anything you go is you have to have regular updates. I've always found in my experience, having a timeline where the dot moves, mm-hmm. things are completed. Yeah, uh, People know what's coming. They know what to expect. It's very key for total transparency. Yeah, People want to see progress. If progress isn't being made, they want an answer. And if you're in the business of communicate, you communicate, 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 That's and right. you do it again. Yeah. And you yeah. do it in a variety of ways. Yeah. And I think they did a barbecue in, in the mm-hmm. summer. I, I actually wasn't able to go. Um, I was out of town at the time, but I think there is a lot more opportunities mm-hmm. to be more front and center. I think sometimes in the sense that everything and, and COVID has had a bit of a play in that, but people became very attuned to working on the Hollywood Squares network (laughs) and teamworks is 
more town halls and giving people the opportunity to ask questions. For sure, for sure. To satisfy the people that want to know, and they're the ones that are going to talk about for it. For sure, community. for sure. I think what stood out to me at that barbecue, I attended that barbecue. It was actually very well attended. And mm-hmm. I think what I saw that really struck me were the individuals in the community who are on the waiting list and waiting for housing coming and telling their stories. And, you know, they're not the ones necessarily in the political class who are talking about the academic exercises. They're the ones in need. And their stories were quite powerful. That really struck me. It reminded me of why we've all been volunteering on that. And so, which is why I'm I'm asking this kind of question of you, because we got to get it right. We got to improve next round. We have to. there There is no choice. Affordable housing is a must. Yeah. I think when opportunity that could be leveraged if there are people who are concerned about different aspects of the project is actually having them sit with the people it's going to impact. Yeah. And hearing their stories directly. Yeah. And that can be very powerful. It can be, yeah. As you know, I'm a member of the board of the Southern Georgian, the Institute Institute? of Georgian Bay. There was a very, very powerful um, event in June on housing. I don't know if you... I did know about it, yeah. And there was a very powerful story. I was listening to the car driving and I actually pulled over Mm. because I thought, I I can't do anything else but listen to this story. And the person told us about her housing situation, which was very sad. And she was very brave. Yeah. And she's running for council in Owen Sound. Good for her. To be part of a solution. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. But that story, I remember sending an email to the chair saying that was powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. And I think stories like that. And I had asked actually why they weren't doing some videos so people could listen online. And apparently that had been explored, but not pursued for, for reason. Yeah. Because storytelling. So healthcare has strong roots in storytelling. Mm -hmm. Storytelling sends powerful messages when you want to impact change. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do think that maybe could have been leveraged a bit more. For sure. Yeah. And I know that I know on the Housing Corp side, they they had a lot of town hall meetings. Everyone was invited, uh, whether they were in person when we were still doing in person yeah. or online. There have been a number of online opportunities for folks to to come. And I I often saw a good cross section of the right communities coming there. But when I hear the the criticisms externally, I tend to notice it's not that same robust audience. Mm-hmm. And so they're not hearing from that other group. So I think, look, council has an opportunity to to layer on and improve what's been done. Hopefully you all will um, dive deep with the Housing Corp to kind of learn a little more about what they've achieved and uh, the lessons learned that they will be able to bring to the table because there's lots of insights there, but they're not getting out. So I think we got to figure that out. We do. I also think there may be some benefit on looking at it at a regional basis and other candidates and other municipalities are speaking about that. Because I think there is benefits to creating a level platform across Southern Georgian Bay with respect to developers. Oh, absolutely. So municipalities can't be played against each other. Yeah. yeah. Think of something like an inclusionary zoning-like approach. So for those of you who don't know, inclusionary zoning would be a certain number of units allocated to an attainable or affordable type of unit in any development. That kind of policy would work if it was spread across the South Georgian Bay, for sure, because then you'd be getting yes. this multiplier. And then you could collaborate on the policy work. That's right. Yeah. So the developers are getting the same message 
across the southern Georgian Bay. Yeah. I found it disappointing. I was listening to a deputation that had been done earlier this year Mm -hmm. that a resident had shared with me out of interest. And it was interesting that this developer had come back with a development that now included what they refer to as attainable housing. And they said that these would sell for under a million. (laughs) Do you understand the meaning of attainable housing? Yeah, because that is not it. a shared, and I think it's very, very key from a communication perspective to have shared meaning. Hmm. It's funny because we've talked about this a few times. So the market takes care of real estate development for a large cohort of, of society who can afford to be as choosy with the type of houses that they want. Mm-hmm. The market development does that. Then you have the provincial and federal government taking care of what would be typically defined as affordable housing. And there's a whole model and framework that supports that. Yes. And it it is there and largely supports people who have acute needs and they really need that housing. And, and we are all fortunate to live in a country that has that. The middle, it's called the missing middle for a reason because there is no framework. So I think that's why it's so challenging for people to get behind because there's not one agreed upon definition. In some ways, every municipality across Canada is figuring that out right now. So when you talk about change management and bringing that kind of mindset as well as patient-centered or customer-centered development. Already I can see some opportunities for you to bring some leadership in that sphere. I, I do yeah. feel because there is a yeah. lot of, um, the principles of those are applicable to any. Sector. Exactly. I think when, when I was speaking the other night, I was saying that developers also need to have a think about what they are developing because there will come a time, I believe, where the high-end houses will be difficult to sell yeah. because we are at risk of being a town that doesn't have that middle infrastructure to support us to be a sustainable town. So if people aren't going to necessarily want to buy the high end, so encouraging them that it's actually in their benefit to do a mix of housing. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Talking about housing and mix, but also the environment, as I know that uh, I've read in some of your materials and you've talked at other events, how the sort of sustainability is an important factor. So how do you view sustainability and how do you think that housing issue kind of intersects with that? When you look at sustainability, you have the environment, you have the social and you have the economic. And they sort of have to some be somewhat equitable, although they may not always be equitable in each and every decision, overall, they need to be equitable. That's yeah, a good you way of framing a, it. You can't have one pillar losing all the time. Um, or the system, building on system thinking I've had to do over my career, it, it wouldn't function. Uh, the environment is central to why people live here. 
why people visit here, whether yeah. they come for a day or a week or they come for 30 days plus, or they choose to be weekenders and seasonal. It is about the environment and the character equally we have, but particularly the environment. And if we erode the environment, it will disappear. So we have to protect it, one, from first and foremost, agriculture, two, tourism, and three, just people's enjoyment. Yeah. People I've spoken to, whether it be over in the resort side, the windfall area side of Blue Mountains, or over down in Lower Bay, or north over in Heathcote or Ravenna, people love to be out in the environment, just even the scenery we're we're privileged to have four seasons. So agriculture, given its apples, we see the beautiful blossoms mm-hmm. in the spring, which is a tourist attraction in itself. And we see then the fruit in the, in, in the fall, which is all to do with an enjoyment of the apple trail. So the environment is part and parcel of everything we do. And I think we, it needs to be central to decision-making. And I haven't, I don't think it's really had the elevation that it needs to maintain. And one of the things is about trees, the clear cutting of trees, the creation of more opportunities for active transportation through mm-hmm. the environment, walking through the environment, snowshoeing. And there's just so much we have, but it has that common element. Yeah. I know there's the sustainability plan, 20 bold actions. There's a lot in there. It's got to be worked on and sort of timelined out. But do you, th- do you think there's anything that you believe would help us sort of improve our environmental performance or our sustainability performance in the next few years? Is it something like supporting electric vehicles or retrofits on appliances or homes? Is there anything you can think of that you think would would really help get people engaged in and making some changes? So I think any parking lot the town does should have electrical outlets. Yeah. For people, because I mean, electrical charging stations are not as common as gas stations. Yep. And people, if they're coming up for a while, they need a place to charge. And not always does a hotel or a BNB have that opportunity or someone's if they're staying in short-term accommodation, etc. So I think we need to make that readily available. And I'm not sure we have taken that up as much as we can. Yep. Having done a build, the building code. They do, you do have to do the rough-in for an electrical vehicle, which is not required by everybody right now. So um, you don't have to actually put the um, plug-in, but you do have to have the wiring ready to go, all hooked in down into the- Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. That's good. Yeah, we do. So yes, we do have the facility in our house because that'll probably be the next car. So <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. I think that's that's very important. I think promotion of active transportation and with electric bikes and even charging units for electric bikes mm-hmm. because they don't have the range. And if people want to go, say to Collingwood or beyond Meaford and back, one some of the bikes don't have a sufficient charge to do that. Yeah, and you need a little more infrastructure so you there. Need a little bit more because electric bikes have opened up cycling to people who may not have been able to um, cycle as far as other people would do on a mountain bike mm-hmm. or a road bike. Yeah. So it's a whole different market and a market that is more maybe not just sport related, but more short term tours. 
pass. I'll go here. I'll just hop on my bike. So I think we need to be much more conscious and encourage developers when they are doing residential developments, particularly on a large scale, is what can you do in your development that's going to plug in to a potential or existing network? Yeah. And there, right now, there is a gap between Craigley and Thornbury that needs to be filled. So people have more opportunities because the Georgian Trail is only so wide. Yeah. And, and you got to. don't want the Georgian Trail to become like 26. That's exactly. Yeah. And then there's people who are walking. So it can't become too crowded. So we have other opportunities to look at because ideally, people should be able to go from Meaford Street into Collingwood and beyond. Yeah. One of the things I loved over the the last few winter months, I'm not sure if it's on deck this year, but the town started to take care of the Georgian Trail during the winter. And it was so neat to see how many people used it in the winter time. It was a nice, safe trail that people could use and snowshoe on or they use their bikes with the fat snow tires. And I was surprised how many people used it. And I think I shouldn't be because that is who the community is, but it was neat to see. One of the things that I'm really interested in just personally on the environment side is waste management and waste diversion. It's something I'm really thinking a lot about, uh, you know, within our own operation, we're setting targets to move more into the recycling stream versus the waste stream and really measuring it and really trying to look at consumer behavior on that front, as well as different types of packaging and things like that. So I think there's a real opportunity. I'd love to work more with the business community broadly here in the town to sort of see if we can improve on that front. I think there's lots of ground to be gained there. I think that there is. And I think COVID in some ways maybe if not assisted with progress mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah, we slipped um, back. Everyone did. Yeah. Yeah. Takeout containers. Takeout containers. And you had to feel for the restaurants that were doing takeout one to survive. There was very limited supply of what they actually could even get. Yeah. But I do think we need to uh, regroup and gain what we learned and move forward. Because there is a lot of ground to catch up yeah. on. I'm seeing some really innovative things come to market on that front. So I'm excited about it. Speaking of businesses, what's your take on uh, the economic recovery? Sort of where, where do you believe we are in the town on that sort of journey back to pre-pandemic? And, and are there any specific needs you think that the economy needs support from the municipality on? So I think we probably were making some good progress until inflation took off and other unintended consequences of the pandemic. So while people were gaining confidence, they were able to take off masks, they feel a bit more protected with vaccines, et cetera, to go out. Then inflation hits, their dollar doesn't go as far. The Canadian dollar is being impacted by the American dollar now. Price of food goes up, labor shortages. It's It's been a very difficult time. I like what the Rotary has done with the kindness project, because as you know, I I have worked at Blue. I've Mm -hmm. worked in food and beverage. I know what staffing shortages are. I have experienced it firsthand. (laughs) Yes, you have. And for the most part, I find people have been patient. They understand. But it was challenging for some, having come out of mandates, then to be patient again for a different reason. Because yeah. people thought we'd go back to normal and That's right. we're not going back to normal. Yeah. Nobody expected lineups or having to not get a table at a restaurant when they expected to and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, That's right. So I think the municipality as a whole, I, I 
like their um, programs they've had, Shop Local, that's really raised the profile. It's got the community engaged. Mm -hmm. I do think it's a community. We were very engaged in supporting businesses, but you can't let your foot off the gas in doing that. It's going to need to continue for some time. Yeah. I know you've been involved on the, the healthcare front. I would call more healthcare services and economic development initiative. Is there anything that you can share or any perspectives you have about the community campus of care that is being talked about? Or, you know, from your perspective, what do you see us needing in the health side of our community and how that might help us, A, just get services as a community, but B, the economic benefits of those investments? So one is we can't take our our foot off the gas with respect to physician recruitment because every new position will generate at least a million dollars economically. Wow. So there, there is, well, they pay rent, they employ people, they yeah. prescribe treatment, they prescribe medicine, et cetera. Like they, yeah. they do generate income. They pay taxes, a lot of reasons. So we mustn't take our foot off the gas with that. And I do feel proceeding with a regional basis is the best way forward. People I've spoken to in Ontario Health West, which is the former Lynn, which is the yeah. big funding authority for our area certainly agrees with that and doing it on a regional basis. They're very supportive. I also think with respect to the campus of care, and I I have said many times, I have sent my suggestions over time by email. I've suggested on a number of fronts, building on my knowledge of the industry and experience. But other things, if you're going to build 160 beds, whether it's three, four, five, six, whatever stories, is there is a profile of full-time equivalents, i.e. staff people you will need That's right. build that. And it's interesting you say that because I'm also very involved in the regional registered nurses association chapter. And we participated in organizing an event recently, which is about finding the missing pieces in the nursing crisis. So we had a panelists that came from significant healthcare institutions in the acute care hospitals in the area and being, I would say, extremely honest about what they're doing because they recognize it's a big issue. So with the campus of care, you're going to need a variety of workers. And I can only hope that they know what they are and when they're going to need them. And are they working with Georgian College for starters to see, are you going to be able to produce a number of these people locally to work there? Because you have food and beverage, you have the housekeeping, which may or may not require college education. Yeah, security. Uh, but you have PSW, yeah. personal support workers. You have our registered practical nurses and RNs. Because one of the things, and we were speaking about it last night at the debrief meeting, is the next event, which I will also be involved in organizing, is around long-term care. Elevating its status as a desirable place to work. Mm-hmm. Also, and one of my questions was, what is the Georgian College doing about their placement numbers? What are they doing about enhancing the attractiveness? What are our healthcare centers, yeah. long-term care centers doing right now about attracting students in and the sports? And it's interesting. Well, someone says, well, they only have so many spots they're funded for. I said, that's okay. What are they doing from an advocacy piece to increase those numbers? Yeah. One of the things that I found is It's an interesting dynamic because more sectors do need to come forward and talk about their sector's needs, the labor challenges they're facing, and they need to sort of daylight that stuff. Because, you know, if you think about the healthcare sector has these same challenges, 
service sector, tourism, the municipality itself has a challenge in terms of recruiting and, and keeping people. The more that our sectors come forward to share their issues, I think the better the solutions will be. But, and I'm curious to get your perspective on this, I would say tourism was out front. Uh, we were very willing to come forward and share our concerns and what we were seeing. But, you know, it uncovered some issues, some people's values as it related to tourism. Uh, I think it was easier to set our sector aside. And I would say people maybe didn't want to hear it. And now we're seeing five years later, just how robust this challenge is across the board. So a question to you is, how do we encourage different sectors to come forward in this culture where people might be quick to criticize or challenge or uh, not want to hear you? How do you do that? That's a very good question. I think some of the sectors need to come together as a group mm -hmm. and actually realize they have more in common than they do not. Yeah. They do have a lot in common. Yeah. Imagine <laughs> if we all work together, how much faster or how much closer we'd be to a solution. Because you have a common goal. You need a workforce to staff. Yeah. Uh, to, you need to know who you need. You're just going to attract different students. Yeah. That's right. Because you're, you're providing that diversity of options. Yeah. And some of the crossover, like people who work in, say, the food industry can equally work in long-term care. That's right. Can equally work in healthcare. So there is diversity to move around. I think there is opportunities because, uh, and I've been thinking about it in, like Niagara College has a restaurant called The Bench. Yeah. It's fabulous. It's highly rated. Yeah. It's really run by Niagara College and their cuisine, their culinary department. I have no idea why we can't have the same here. Yeah. It, then it actually begins to serve as a magnet. Plus it adds to tourism. It becomes a destination. It's a total win for a whole number of boxes. That's right. I also think the campus of care, and I'm, I'm obviously not as involved. The task force was done internally to the town. But it, one of the ideas I had put forward was about a learning center where you have the students come and do placement. Because oftentimes, as in any industry, people think that they know what long-term care is. And it may not, they may not want to work there. Physicians may not, physios, like for all sorts of reasons. But encourage them that that is part of your placement area. So myths can be demystified. People realize what it's about. And it can be very interesting. And it's increasingly not just about older people. The yeah. population in long-term care is changing. That's right. The needs of these people are changing and it can equally be very rewarding. And there are a number of people there who are not there because of cognitive difficulties. They're fully cognitive. All those different folks in there have to coexist. So how do you program for them? And it's... Well, some of it is they, they rotate them. Yeah. Because some people who are cognitively aware want to change. They want to be with different people. Of course. Because um, that, and that's their home. Yeah. I mean, they're they, communities in themselves, aren't yes, they? Yes, they are. Yeah. I mean, that is your residential address. So I think there's a lot of commonality in sectors, and we have an opportunity to build on that. Yeah. And again, work with com the community college that is local. Because a lot of the programs that get built, unfortunately, are not offered at the Collingwood campus. They're offered at Barry and Owen Sand. Yeah. So we're sort of like this missing middle. Yeah. When we did the labor supply task force a number of years ago, back in 2017, 18, one of the recommendations was to bring some of the uh, resort management programs to the uh, Collingwood campus. And it, it did happen. And we saw before COVID when the 
program was put on pause. There was about 200 students coming. We all worked together to help the students get places to live, to get jobs while they were here. And it started to build that community and ecosystem. It's coming back this year. We're really excited about it, but there's so much more opportunity there. And you know, as you talk about long-term care being a community, and here we are in Blue Mountain Village, we're experts in placemaking you know, we've created a community at the, f- the foot of the mountain, which in- integrates all these different uh, experiences. There's no reason why we couldn't be leveraged to help on that long-term care facility to share knowledge on. There's on, a lot of knowledge. Oh, there's so much stuff we could do. And I haven't even thought of that until you mentioned that. It's a really good opportunity. So, you know, we're all more the same than we are different. We just got to work together. <laughs> that's a good, yeah, that's a good message. As an influencer because they can't tell sectors what to do. That's right. But they can serve as a vehicle to bring people together to say, we'd like to host something. Good good facilitators, yeah. Good facilitator, host a little summit or conference, whatever you want to bring people together to to talk about common common issues. And I've always found throughout my career, end users have really good ideas. Yeah, the closer you get to the end users, the better. One of my concerns is that I just... And I think this is still a hangover from our experience of COVID and what we've all been through, but people have to feel comfortable and safe to come forward to share their problems and concerns. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that we're at a place right now where there is that safety for people to come forward and, and share challenges. And so I think that's another thing. I think that's a really great thing that the municipality can do is to create those networks and those opportunities to draw that out in a place where people are safe and they're not subject to unnecessary criticism or, or, you know, a risk to their business or their brand. I mean, I think a lot of people are, are just staying quiet and I think they need to talk more. So the town could probably help with that. I think our society has fueled that a little bit in the last several years. Mm-hmm. I think it's also the town has other venues other than town hall. Yeah. Which are more informal. Yeah. That can be used for that purpose. Yeah. Or businesses have venues they can use. So it's finding also sometimes going to the users yes, as opposed to the users coming. Yeah. So, cause you can have a sense that, well, this is their space as opposed to an our space. Yeah. Yeah. Listening, being in listening mode. I, I hear what you're saying. Two final questions for you. So you brought up working at Blue Mountain Resort and you've done a number of different things. I'm just wondering what was that experience like for you? It was, it was a lot of fun and a real change from my career role. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. One is I didn't have to deal with people's problems. <laughs> if people were not happy and said they wanted to speak to the manager, it's like, okay, I can't resolve it. So we'll just yeah. move it up the chain. Um, but certainly being empathetic and understanding. I think when I, uh, first of all, I was a greeter in rentals. And I always took great pains to see if someone in the group wasn't going to be part of renting because yeah. they just sort of stand there very quiet. And we had maps and one map is obviously the map of the hills and the trails, et cetera, but always making sure that they knew there was a flip side of the map, which showed them a little bit about how they could spend their day. Yeah, And there was different shops, restaurants. It was a place they could go have a coffee because their experience mattered too. Yeah. So I always took great pride in that and trying to be able to answer people's questions, but being very knowledgeable about the resort, 
was extremely helpful. For sure. I bet that was one of my suggestions in that role. And then when I worked in food and beverage is that everyone needs to have a working knowledge of the resort because you're there and you should never be in a position that you have to say to someone, I don't know. Yeah. And it happens and the too much. can't do it all. That's right. And product knowledge and training is really difficult when you have so many different things. It is. But it is, it's one of the burning issues we want to address and improve. Any, anything else, anything, if you, so if you could wave you, your magic wand and improve the employee experience, what well, would you say? This year, and particularly because I'm probably a, a lot, um, I'm more mature than the average younger people they do employ in food and beverage. We had our international students back and yeah. I had the opportunity to work with a lot of them. Oh, wow. And it was actually sharing with them. Okay. So you're from England. Um, I'm familiar with that. There are certain stores you can go to that sell English products. You yep. want to know. Oh, that's good. Or what should I do? I have a weekend off or say you might want to go to different provincial parks or when you go to Toronto and you might want to do this. Have you thought about this? So even letting them know where things were locally yeah, because they don't know. So I found myself as a walking resource to them be in the sense of as you're working, you have a conversation. If, if it's not there in front of a client, because some of it is behind the scenes, yeah. is you actually help them become more integrated. That's right. So, and, and I really enjoy doing that because then it enables them to feel more welcome in the community. The other thing I have found is extending to guess where things are. Because some people, would, as I said, they ask you anything and everything. But people say, well, I'm here for a week. What else can I do? And I always say, well, you might want to go to Thornbury. Yeah. And then when you go to Thornbury, you might want to travel up the hill, go down to Clarksburg. You might want to go here, there. There's the Apple Trail. It's still, you, know, you can still use it in all seasons, etc. But trying to engage people to get out and enjoy the area. Yeah. Because they're always going to come back because they're staying at the resort, but experience the area um, in all of its totality. I enjoyed seeing the mix of people. And as I would say, during the COVID time period in particular is more locals enjoying like people coming over who live near the base of the mountain, coming up particularly to the top restaurant of, of tranquility to run. Yeah. Saying, well, I walked over. And they, a lot of local people come, people who hadn't come to the mountain before the resort. And obviously you want to keep those people. That's right. You want them to have a good experience. Yeah. Everybody. It's all about having a good experience and what we can do. I think, although it's challenging when you're short staffed, I think the guest was always, always put first. Yeah. And yeah, that's what I'm all about because yeah. that's the reason you're there. Yeah. And even as elected official, you're only there because you have residents in the town. Customer centricity in all of its forms is really critical. Absolutely. Absolutely. No matter what your job is. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's uh, not always easy. And I think we can easily fall into looking at our own world, but that is, it's a constant reminder and priority. Finally, you talked about community character and I know we've been having lots of discussions. You you made a great point at one of the recent town halls to say that our official plan or other guiding documents are kind of vague on what character means. I'm wondering what does character mean to you? What kind of criteria would you be looking for to define the character of our town? Oh, that's a very good question. It's a tough one, isn't it? It is because the character in Thornberry is not the character in Heathcote. It is not true. the character in Ravenna. Larksburg or, or the in different yeah. parts of Craig Lee. Yeah. But I do think the town needs to take some time and define what character is. 
It's a word that is in the official plan numerous times, but has no teeth. It yeah. is not operationally defined. And as you've probably heard me say, it will give an OLT uh, developer's lawyer a great afternoon out defining and, and promoting how their development opportunity adds character. Yeah. So I think that's very important. Character is a variety of things. It's not just the building. It's the environment. Mm -hmm. It's the transportation system. It's the way the community is structured and the culture that that cultivates. It is very embracing. Simply put, it is what differentiates people driving along. I said at one public meeting, we were on uh, holidays this summer and we were out driving around because it was a bit of a drizzly day. And we drove through one town. We're stopping here. This is pretty. It's nice. Right. It has little shops. It has interesting architecture. It was warm and welcoming. It had the angular parking. Like there's just a lot of the ambience yeah. that you get out and you want to walk around. And we can't lose that. Or it's a place where you go and you have your bikes on the back and you go, no, we're going to park the bike and we're going to cycle around. Yeah. So it's a bit of a destination. Because if we erode that, we will lose it forever. Yeah. And as others have said as well, you don't want to see a town die. I was speaking with someone the other night and was pleased to hear my comment echoed about maybe we're more like a Bayfield. The Bayfield's only the part that's historic is part of the town. Then they have a different part. We're a multiple character in the Blue Mountains. That's why we're it's plural. And every area needs its character respected. Otherwise, we will lose and it will just sort of disappear a letter of the word at a time. For sure. And I think that there are so many different communities within our community, the result of amalgamation, which happened a long time ago, but those unique elements can be bolstered, protected. And, you know, the one piece I think is invested in. So I think you can tell the character of the community by how the community invests in itself. Mm -hmm. So I think about things like how snow is removed how sidewalks are managed during the winter, mm. how garden and landscaping is done, how waste management is done. So it sounds silly, but actually you can really demonstrate your character through the programming. When I think of the village environment, we create the character of the village through the design mm -hmm. of the buildings, through our programming, like our events and, you know, the gardens, the pond, the way we structure how people can navigate and, and then, then our design standards and the look and feel. So it's sort of, it's really robust. Yeah. And what you've described equally is there's something when people come back, mm -hmm. character is something that you can rely on. Yeah. It's dependable. It's what I'm going back to. That's right. It sticks because in the memory. You revisit somewhere and it's like, what happened? So having and, and maintaining the character gives people the repeat visitors. That's right. The same warm, fuzzy feeling when they first arrived. Yeah. Well, and if I look at the character of Blue Mountain Village, the visitation is only growing. The interest in the real estate is only growing. And we're able to achieve that with five-story buildings. And we're not achieving it with a singular built form. So I do think there's some lessons in the village master plan. And so, you know, we'll certainly offer all of our lessons learned. I'd love to do a walking tour of some of the sites and sort of highlight some of the design tricks that were done earlier on. I think there's some good food for thought there, but. I think you raise actually a very good point because I've been out um, when I've been door knocking to different areas that have had development concerns 
And it's one thing to see, it's one thing to read. So you've got to get out and see it. And people need to live the example. So when I've been in more city uh, environments, I've actually taken the time more than I have ever had to look at a house beside a five-story building. And even just take some pictures and like really take in what this impact is. Yeah. So there is ways of designing where they're not as front and center. That's right. But that takes some care to do. Yeah. And I, I think that's time well. Yeah. Spent. Well, and it, you need a master plan. I don't even know that that is the right term anymore. I think we have to change that term, but a site plan that is is more robust in its architectural standards because I, I certainly know what was done here had all of that as part of it. And I don't know that that exists everywhere, but it, um, it does in some towns who have learned why learned the hard way, what happens when they put official plan amendments in without the infrastructure. Yeah. The te- as people refer to the teeth of the official That's right. plan yeah. is figuring out what your height's going to be, the shadows at cost. Yeah. The angular plane, the views, the views, etc. Yeah. And how do you fit it all together so people can actually see a tangible vision of how it plays yeah. out? Yeah. Well, we in in the village, the bigger village plan. You know, a lot of people say, "How do you how do you determine character in terms of style?" Well, it was done here. There was a very specific aesthetic style and yes. approach. It was all modern on old Ontario, the charm of old Ontario, the charm of Alpine villages, and yes. it's it's embedded in the, the structure. So it can be done in other communities. I look at Cochrane, Alberta, is an interesting small town outside of Calgary. They had a built form bylaw that made sure that everything has was designed to emulate pioneer villages. It's just subtle little design cues that keep people on track. So yeah, it's interesting. One of the streets I recommend people check out would be Snowbridge Way, historic Snowbridge off of Grey Road 19. Not that I want to send many people driving there and create a traffic jam, but it's an interesting fusion of uh, detached homes then in the center, you have townhomes that are actually rented. They're actually short-term rentals coexisting with residential properties. Really interesting park and trail system around. And then the outer ring has stacked townhomes uh, that are higher, more density, and they are multi-use. So townhomes as well as some rentals. And it all coexists and it is gorgeous. So character can be done with mixed use. So I think there's so much of a focus on the number of stories. And I think we're we're betraying the real definition of character by not thinking about it in a broader way. So anyway, it's that's- very much to do with the architecture yeah, and the, and the design and what that profession is able to deliver. That's right. Well, thank you so much for spending the time with us today uh, on behalf of all of our members, all of our listeners. Uh, I know how busy it is right now and the campaign trail. And I see all of the volunteers participating in every community event hosted. And there's a lot of them. So, you know, congrats to you and thank you. We've had a chance to work together in a, in a number of facets or projects. And I just want to commend you for all of the work that you've done to be present in the community. There's not an issue that I haven't seen that you haven't weighed in on or shared your expertise. And uh, I think it's really valuable. And, you know, the fact that you, in addition to your incredibly busy season, decided to help and work at the resort and take on roles at a time when I know the resort really needed that extra help. And I think you got a lot of insights out of that as well. So, you know, hats off to you. I just say I'm really, I was always impressed by that. And uh, I think our members would be happy to hear that as well. So thanks for sharing your insights there. And um, you know what? I wish you all the best of luck in the campaign and uh, in the future. 
So thank you very much, Andrew. I've enjoyed this opportunity to to chat with you and also reach your members. (laughs) Enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Blue Mountain Village Voices, a production of the Blue Mountain Village Association. For more, go to bluemountainvillage.ca. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.